With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's up, Committer Quit family? This is Eric Nam. This is Eddie Nam. And we're back with another great episode of Commit or Quit, where our guests bring us their favorite movie or TV show recommendations. Haha, <laughs> that's right. Our guest today is a pretty big deal. And we're so thrilled to have him on this podcast. Yeah, this man has directed some major films and blockbusters from Step Up 2, Step Up 3D, Justin Bieber's Never Say Never, G.I. Joe Retaliation, and of course, one of our favorite movies, the 2018 hit rom-com Crazy Rich Asians. And he's also directing the much-anticipated film adaptation of In the Heights. We got John M. Chu in the house today. The yeah, three yeah. of us. Had a great time talking about John's life, his projects, as well as the new buzzworthy Netflix film, The Half of It. And we can't wait for you to hear this one. All right, then without further ado, here is our enthralling, amazing conversation with Mr. John M. Chu. Let go. Hey, uh, what do you want to watch? I don't know. Oh, I actually heard this is really good. What do you say? Should we commit or quit? All right, ladies and gentlemen, commit or quit family, please welcome to the show. We got Mr. John M. Chu. Hey, John, how are you? What's up? It's good to be here. Thanks for joining us. We're excited to have you. Uh, thank you. It's really nice to be here. You disrupted my swimming with my daughters. <laughs> uh, uh, but I also got to escape that too. So now my wife gets to get them out and get them all dry. So. Oh man. Um, so how have you been? You're, you're in isolation in LA. Yeah. Right. With family. Thank God I'm in LA and not, I was in New York for all year, pretty much all last year, um, escaped here a few weeks ago. Um, so it's nice to have an actual pool and outdoor area. Right. Right. Yes. Um, how has it been? I mean, I, you know, I don't have any kids, so I don't really know, yeah. but from all my <laughs> friends who have kids are like, I need to get away from these kids. I love my kids to death, but I need I need some time. How have you well, been? You know, I, I feel very lucky because my kids aren't in school school, so I don't have to be a teacher all of a sudden. Uh, um, I just have to keep them busy. So my options are a little wider. We can go okay. on walks. I can, you know, we can, uh, not, not big walks, obviously, but we can, <laughs> we can go on little adventures uh, through our hallways and turn off the lights and play ghosts and things right. like that. Um, so I'm very lucky. So I have a, I have a, a nine month old and a almost three year old. Okay. So, wow. um, and we got some stuff down, done. Uh, Willow, my, my oldest, she uh, got potty trained during this time, which one day when you have children, you'll, <laughs> you'll know that you, it's nice to actually be around and have a, uh, a bathroom very close. When you're doing that training. <laughs> sure. Uh, and then my little, my little one, the one that was born last year while I was shooting in the Heights, his name is Heights. Uh, he, uh, he just started to crawl about 48 oh. hours ago. So our whole wow. our whole thing is about to change now. Now that we have two movers. Oh my yeah. gosh. So, 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure it's great that you get to see them, you know, and be with them as they're going through these really developmental times, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, my son Heights, who was literally born while we were shooting, um, I have not really gotten to know because mm. <laughs> I've been shooting and right. I've been editing. And so this is actually a great time to uh, let him know that <laughs> I'm his dad, <laughs> that, 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 I, that I'm around. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's when you're doing a movie, when you're a director for a movie, you know, you have waves as you guys know, as entertainers as well, right. uh, where you're working really hard and then you have like dead time. So, um, sure. it's really nice to catch up with the family. Well, so. uh, that's, that's great to hear you doing well and you get to spend time with family. Um, I'm, I'm a little curious, you know, we have so much, a, you have such a illustrious resume, of things that you've done and accomplished. Um, but since you brought it up in the Heights, um, it's something that I think so many people are really excited to see, excited to, to experience uh, when it's ready. Um, could you talk to us a little bit about it? Like I, productions, you know, pre's done, you've shot, are you in post right now? What's going on? Yeah, um, we, uh, we finished shooting it. We I finished editing it. Um, we are just okay. mixing it with, which for a musical is a musical written by Lynn Manuel Miranda. Right. Um, he wrote it be- before Hamilton. It was a Broadway show. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, we have all new music, all new score, all new orchestrations of, uh, of, for the, for the movie. And, and so the mix of it, where we mix the dialogue, the sound effects, the, uh, the, the music itself, uh, Foley, all that stuff together. That's such a huge undertaking for us. And we had probably, right. we were probably like three days into like a six week mix um, when we got shut down and got sent home uh, because of the virus. Um, yeah. So, uh, so we, we ha- have about six or seven weeks left. Um, okay. And we don't know when we're going to do that since our movie got pushed till next June, June 16th, Father's Day. 2021 so okay now i got now i got time i went from like it's like running a marathon yeah and then like six miles before you're done they're like stop (laughs) go home and so your adrenaline's still running your mind's still moving yeah um so yeah so so in terms of you know professional stuff you know outside of in the heights and that kind of what have you been working on? are you looking at new projects are you still producing things are you what's going on um, we'll have a new uh, television deal at Fox Disney. Um, so we are developing stuff for ABC, for Disney Plus, for Hulu, for Freeform, FX, a bunch of different shows. There. So, uh, and and I, I don't, I haven't done a lot of television. I did uh, a show for Apple uh, Apple TV Plus this uh, just recently, um, and uh, so I'm, I'm excited to 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 play around in the TV world a little bit. Um, in terms of my other movies, I'm developing Crazy Rich Asians 2 right. um, and some other movies um, that uh, I don't know which one will go next. And uh, maybe there'll be another one that sweeps in there uh, for my next movie. But I know for now I'm sort of taking a little bit of time just to um, focus on TV, get in the heights, out of out of here. Um, mm-hmm. And then we'll, and we'll see where we end up. Man, busy man. So busy. Yeah. It's, been, it's been it's been nuts, but a blessing. You know, I know there's a lot of people out of work. A lot of people don't know what they're right. doing next. And even even in our industry, um, crews need help, and people. It's just uh, so many industries don't know what is next. Right. By the way, me included. Like, who knows? I'm mm-hmm. I'm hoping we'll keep making movies, but you never know. Right. Um, so uh, I'm just taking I'm not taking anything for granted. 
and we're uh, and it's actually really hard to be creative right now. I don't know about you guys. You guys are probably just always going, but for me right now with kids, it's hard to do like thirty minutes of creativity and then like four hours <laughs> of like just trying to survive. Um, so uh, so that's been hard, but I think we're getting into a rhythm now. Um, yeah, so. right. Yeah, I found that once I've just accepted that this is going to go on a lot longer than than we yeah. would, would all think. Um, you know, yeah. It, it's been a lot better. I think it's like every day yeah. there's just this giant question mark of a TBD. Yeah. Hey, let's get this done. When are we going to get it done? We don't know. And then everyone's just frazzled. But I don't know. Totally. We're definitely getting in a rhythm right now. Even right now, like as things start to open up, I think there's so many like it makes you feel like everything's back to normal. And mm-hmm. then you see how many people are dying every day. And you're like, it's not back to normal. It just, you know, means there's more room in hospitals for you if you get sick. Um, and so it's just a very, so I, I'm sure so many people are struggling with the back and forth with emotional whiplash of our things. Yeah. But things aren't the same and they won't be for a long time. So, um, mm-hmm. so we'll see how it all goes, but, but at least we're all in this together. We all have each other, even though we're right. separated right now. And uh, we got each other we'll, and we'll we it. have yeah. these, these conversations to help people get through. We like to think. You know? Yeah, and I think for us to tell people that they're not alone in that mm-hmm. um, in-between place, and that even us, um, uh, we are we are also stuck, and we also are powerless yeah. at this moment. And in the Heights, we have this great. We have this. Uh, there's a, a moment that happens in the sh- in the movie where everything there's a blackout, and Washington mm-hmm. Heights, where the movie takes place, they don't get their power back for many many days, and everyone gets depressed and sad and. You know, when I was directing the movie, I guess this happens in New York. I did not know about blackouts that much other than like uh-huh. I've been through a blackout. But like blackouts are a thing, um, right. especially in Washington Heights. Um, there have been some crazy incidences with blackouts. So now and then, and, and in the movie, um, you know, one of the salon ladies who are is moving their salon out of the neighborhood because they can't afford that area. Sort of um, they as she's moving out, everyone's still depressed. So she goes in and cheers everybody up. And says like, get off mm. your butts and stop feeling sorry for us, yourselves. Like you can, you can be down, and it's fine to be down. But now is the time to pick yourself up and be proud of who you are and raise your flag. And let's go make hell out there. Um, we are not, she said, we are not powerless. We are powerful. And mm. so I, in a weird way, we are all going through a blackout right now. We're all separated and trying to figure out a new normal. And we could be down, and then and that's fine. And there's a certain point we've got to pick ourselves up. Um, right. Whether that's now or later, I don't know yet. But I find it very encouraging to know that 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 other other times in history we've had to do this, and so mm-hmm. our generation, um, and and your generation, and other generations um, can do this. Um, and I'm excited because uh, when I watch TikTok and see how creative people are, I see YouTube, I see you guys creating this. Uh, there's there's no bounds to how creative we could be in, in any situation. Yeah. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, you know, I think, you know, I, I haven't spoken to you much before. I, I feel like this is the yeah. first time we're really connecting. Um, but I, I was watching your TED Talk and I was reading a lot of your interviews. And even just in this short period of time, uh, just the general vibe I get from you is that you're an incredibly uplifting person. In your in the way you in your way you speak, the way you choose your words and you frame things. And I think that comes across also in the movies and the projects that you've taken on. Um, I feel like In the Heights is probably one of those uh, movies as well. But so was Crazy Mm -hmm. Rich Asians. And I think for a different reason. It was an uplifting moment for Asian and Asian Americans. 
um, mm-hmm. that I think resonates with people all around the world and people got so excited for it. Um, so I wanted to ask you, when we look at Crazy Rich Asians and the immense amount of success that it had, um, I think for a lot of people, we're like, this is it. This is a great moment. This is a time in history yeah. where we will be able to point and say, this changed the way Hollywood or entertainment uh, started viewing Asians or Asian Americans. Where do you think we are two yeah. years after Crazy Rich Asians? Yeah. And where do you think we will be going? How, how have you felt? What is yeah. your pulse on this? Well, well, let's be very clear. We did not start that movement. We did not. Uh, it wasn't because of us specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, we were a part of a much bigger movement. We just made a movie. And we made a movie that was only possible because of a movement that was already happening before us. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of um, rule breakers and uh, uh, trailblazers that, um, that led the way, of course, over all the years. But more, more recently, um, in the last several years, that really also changed my brain to gear me towards making that movie. That, that, that gave me the idea to pursue that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember looking online and reading um, the sort of hashtag starring John Cho stuff um, or Oscar So White. Um, mm-hmm. Those things, I, I was never, I, you know, when you're Asian American making movies in Hollywood, uh, the last thing you want to be la- labeled is, is someone other. You want to be right. in, and you want to be the one that everyone goes to. And so, um, so, so as a individual growing up in that, because I got into it pretty young, um, I, uh, I, I, I avoided uh, confronting mm-hmm. my cultural identity crisis on purpose, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and part of it was because I was too scared to. I didn't have the answers. I didn't know there was a, how many people out there would understand what I'm talking about. And mm-hmm, these sure. networks started to happen. Um, I mean, Cape has been around, but like the actual sort of younger people at Cape started to hang out and people started to work and you started to notice people like, oh, I recognize them from that TV show. Oh, I recognize them from that thing, uh, from that as a, as a sportsman or a musician or whatever it was. And, and I remember going to one of those events. This is probably two or three years before um, Crazy Rich Asians and looking around and being like, Oh, this is a different chapter. Like, I actually look at these people around me, and I I'm, I'm starstruck by many mm-hmm. of them. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, it dawned on me that something was shifting already. And then when I saw the starring John Cho, and I thought I was not part of that, I was just an observation as someone who was making movies in the movie business. And then I uh, watched the uh, starring John Cho sort of stuff happen, William Yu, um, on on Twitter, and. It was, I could physically feel my brain shift. You know, when you see John Cho in a poster, you're like, yeah, that makes total sense. He should be in that movie. And then mm-hmm. the more you look at it, you're like, why isn't he right. that guy yet? Why isn't he has all the pieces? We have all the things. And, and yet that, that actually, I've never seen that image before. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. suddenly I realized like, oh, because we've been told he can't do that. Like it just didn't, it didn't compute to me. And that's where I realized Oh yeah, Hollywood's messed up. Something is is keeping stuff like something out. And then I realized, oh, I'm a part of that. And mm-hmm. I've been in those rooms where they say you can't cast those two as romantic leads. It doesn't sell internationally, or doesn't do this, or like American audiences wouldn't really buy tickets to that, or it's just too niche. Like I have literally heard those words, and I believe those because I was young. And when the people who are in charge tell you that, hey, right. look at the numbers, look at the numbers, then you believe that, and that's what they follow too. 
I don't think they're evil. I just think that they yeah. believe those things. Uh, and so I realized we, there was an opportunity. I knew that I had done enough movies. I could make a movie, any movie I wanted. And so I should choose what that movie would be very carefully. And I wanted mm-hmm. to do something personal, but I didn't want to do my own story. And when I read Crazy Rich Asians, it had a piece of my story that wasn't my story. But this Asian American going to Asia for the first time and going through that identity crisis was was very familiar to me. And right. also it was a woman. So Rachel Chu, it was, it was one step removed from me. Um, and so I felt very safe to explore this idea. And the mm-hmm. point of it also was to not give a answer really um mm-hmm. of which which part of your person uh, personal identity you should be leaning into it's everybody has their own choice and in our generation gets to choose what that mix feels like and the next generation gets to choose what that feels like so right. that's sort of where it all started so the fact that people actually and i thought no one was going to see the movie necessarily so the fact that People saw it. And by the way, I knew it was going to be a movie because when when I knew already the actors, like I already knew Constance was could be a great person. Jimmy O. Yang, Ronnie Chang, uh, Sonoya. I mean, right. I knew um, we didn't know Henry. Henry was a discovery, <laughs> but we knew all these others that that the world had not given them the opportunity to show off Aquafina, of course. Uh, so to see the world rediscover them or discover them really as in their powers and then see them go off and make other movies to me that again was a result of a of a bigger uh path uh put on by other people um and it allowed this existing network of people to come and rally around something mm-hmm. it could have been anything but it was us and it, and it could have been anyone but it was this group of of actors who were so talented and that could laugh at ourselves which no one else we weren't Someone else wasn't making the joke about us. We were making right. the joke about ourselves. They were confident as hell, which I think mm-hmm. um, sometimes we lack uh, because we don't know our self-worth. Um, yeah. And so, and the movie, it's called Crazy Rich Asians. It's not about worth of money. It's your self-worth. And so mm-hmm. I think all those things made a perfect storm to make this happen. And so I love seeing that it finally gives Hollywood a data point mm-hmm. to kill all their fallacy about what you can cast and what you can't and we hope within the heights we do that again and we can just do it again over and over and over again it doesn't mean it's fair that we have to keep proving it but uh we do and we're here and we have the talent to do it so i love seeing all these other filmmakers tell other stories because our story is very specific it's a romantic comedy has this you know certain thing Mm -hmm. but to see everybody else tell their story that's the big win is now everyone Mm -hmm. gets to tell the story and other people get to lift and, and and carry us forward and John, I think uh, when you're talking about how this started really bubbling up organically in the old school yeah. and the new school, like the gold open started yep. happening. Um, I, have I mean, to I've say, known Bing for years, by the way. Yeah. So to see him finally like have this Waving moment to be able to like do it and get it. Yes, it's awesome. Yeah. He was made for this. Um, but I just wanted to say, <laughs> yes. as this whole thing happened and like, you know, um, Eric was doing part of the gold open in, in Korea. And, you know, this was something that, you know, Eric's yep. been very vocal about. Um, also just on the music side and representation. But thank goodness. Thank God. The movie was like exceptional. You know what I mean? Like The, the <laughs> worst you. thing thank you. on the music side across <laughs> entertainment. The worst thing that can happen for us is when we support it. And we push it. And we're like, this is yeah. it. This is it. And it's not a product worth paying for. Or checking it yeah. out. And so when yeah. that all fell into place, I was like, oh my goodness, this is awesome. 
John, you're a legend. The casting, amazing. <laughs> we were so happy. We were so we happy. We were so they excited. So, so easily gone the other way, guys. <laughs> exactly. <So>. Exactly. That's <laughs> what I'm got. saying. But 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 honestly, uh, I think that's the thing. It's like, um, as an artist, we have to work on our crafts first and mm-hmm. foremost. If you're an actor, you're a musician, like get amazing at your craft and no one can right. deny you you are a piece of value and they need you you don't need them and as lo- and and so we don't have to change the world us as artists and maybe that's for other people in our community to really make a big ruckus online and push their things and do the things and 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 get the financing in line but as artists if we just keep focusing on making better things entertaining things then, then, and they're doing their work, then us as a community can really make lots of strides really quickly because you can't deny uh, good craftsmanship. Yeah. I'm, I'm personally incredibly excited for the next 10 years because I think with Crazy Rich Asians, with uh, like even BTS and all these different, yeah. you know, Asian, Asian American things that keep popping up, we have younger people, younger generation who can look to these people and say, I can do that. Let me work at this craft. Let me become mm-hmm. the best actor or singer or comedian that I could possibly be. Whereas I felt like when I was growing up, I was just going against the grain. I was like, I've never seen anything like this and it's probably never going to happen. So I'll just quietly do it on YouTube and in, in my bathroom yeah. or something. So I'm yeah. really excited. Yeah. If anything, this is, we've built to a place where it sets us up very well for the next 10 years um, and beyond, hopefully. 100%. And I think the younger generation also has less of the baggage that um, that I definitely had. I have less baggage than what my older brother and sister had because mm-hmm. you know, they were they have more fears and more things, insecurities. Right. So I have a little less. I think you guys have less than that. Mm-hmm. And it just keeps going. And I think that that's, that's, you're right. I think that that's the really exciting part. Um, so... Speaking speaking of, you know, kind of growing up and and your family, you're the youngest of five kids. Yes. Um and your so I'm parents, used to chaos. <laughs> you're used to the chaos. Um but I was reading it seemed like your parents were very supportive of you pursuing um film yeah. and TV and, and that kind of stuff. But is there something in you when you think back on it, or even now, where when was it and what was it that said, I need to make films i need to make Mm -hmm. movies or i need to do this type of art yeah i think when you're the youngest of five um you got to fight for your food you got to fight for your space you got to fight for your toys uh you got to fight for being heard um and when i was sort of a spastic weird kid uh, i love to draw i love to play with my toys i was definitely spoiled um, so I would have week long adventures with my toys in my backyard, uh, mm. which I'm sure is where I learned my s- storytelling. But I think I didn't get serious about it until, um, I, I saw this mixer, uh, this video mixer in Sharper Image, which was, I don't know, you guys may be too young, but there's oh, this magazine. No, called I Sharper definitely Image. know what Sharper Image <laughs> <laughs> Okay, good. Phew. All right. Um, and, uh, <laughs> And, and, and in there, there was this thing that you could connect like VCRs to and, and put your stereo to and you could edit stuff together. And I didn't know how to edit, but I thought that was so cool. So I um, convinced my dad to buy it. I told him I'd make, because he has a restaurant, Chinese restaurant. So I said I'd make him like uh, videos for his cooking class and stuff because he had a cooking <laughs> class. Uh, I never did those. But uh, he bought <laughs> me the thing and I made a video of one of our vacations um, cutting us all together with music. 
And when they watched it, uh, they cried. Mm. And it was the first time I felt like, well, one, I had stayed up for three days straight editing it. And so there was this release. It was like very visceral, um, staying up all night to make something that, that, that I, I really loved. And then the satisfaction of moving people, of seeing that they could see me or hear what I was trying to create, that changed everything for me. I knew I was going to do it for the rest of my life from then on. Mm-hmm. I knew I could not stop actually more than anything mm. else. Um, and even to this day, like people ask me, well, what's the movie? Is there one movie that you, if you had any movie to do, what would that be? And I just don't have an answer to that question because that's not my relationship with making movies. Making movies to me is a process. It's like breathing. I need it to let out the demons in my head or let out the stuff that's like there. Um, and I can then live my life. Um, and so, uh, so I will always make stuff and I don't know what I'm going to make next. I don't know ever. Mm-hmm. It's always sort of like whatever, wherever I am is what I'm making. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that to me, whether someone's paying me or not, whether my career fails, I will always be making videos uh, mm-hmm. because if it was, if it's not a movie, I'll be making a, a wedding video for somebody or a memory uh-huh. video for someone's 50th anniversary. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a very much a process for me okay. uh, that I need. That's great. Um, is there, were there particular movies or directors or anybody that you looked up to growing up that really inspired you or formed the way you create? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot. I would say, I mean, animation was something that I, I love. Oh, so I, w- I would okay. say Disney animated musicals. If you look at any of my movies, I probably steal a lot of my shots from there. Spielberg movies, E.T., um, mm. Goodfellas. Um, I watched a lot. Um, but certain things like um, Run, Lola, Run changed my brain. I was, I think I was in high school. Uh, I was just getting into college. Uh, that changed my brain about how movies can feel. Um, mm. and how they can be structured. Um, obviously, Pulp Fiction at that time also did that. I mean, half the people in my film school were there because of Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and so I think those movies really shook my brain um, that they could that there was still more to do in yeah. the cinema business. So that's awesome. I mean, I'm we're so excited to have you here because you're the first director um, to to join us on nice. this and. So when we reached out, we we're like, we, you know, yeah. part of the the great thing about having actors on is that, you know, they have their perspective of like, oh, this scene was really cool because it was acted in this way, or this character yes. took on this type of life. And today, you uh, wanted to talk about a new movie. Um, it's called The Half of It, which is a new Netflix yes. original. And so, I was, you know, I had been looking forward to watching it, and you gave me a, an excuse to watch it, um, but. As we dive into this movie, I'm really excited to hear kind of your insights and what you took away from somebody who's in the field, who's lives and breathes this kind of stuff. So um, yeah. if it's okay with you, we'll just dive right into this movie, right? Let's do it. And, and I'm right. really excited to talk about this movie because Alice Wu, who, who uh, wrote and directed it, um, mm-hmm. I got to know… One, I she's, she's a trailblazer herself uh, mm-hmm. by doing uh, that movie Saving Face. I think it was in 2005, um, mm-hmm. which really was way ahead of its time. Um, mm-hmm. And then she never didn't didn't make another movie until this. Uh, okay. And um, yeah. so, and I would see her outside the edit room because I was editing in the Heights while she was editing um, this movie. Um, uh. And so I was it, I was starstruck when I 
talk to her. Um, she's from the Bay Area, so she's from my same town. She's been to my parents' restaurant many times. Oh, uh, that's crazy. So I got to know her a little bit there, and uh, I never knew what this movie was because I didn't get to watch it. So um, mm-hmm. it, I'm 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 really excited because I think the world needs more Alice Wu movies. I think she has more to say, mm-hmm. and 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 the world has caught up with her, um, mm-hmm. and I think she's going to have a really amazing career in the next uh, few years, as as we'll see what she what comes out from her. That's exciting. All right. Well, let's jump into it. Um, All righty. So John chose the movie, the half of it, written and directed by Alice Wu. And it was just released on Netflix on May 1st. Um, Just so you guys know, there are spoilers in this discussion. And if you don't like spoilers, go watch the movie and come back. But otherwise, think of it as a good opportunity for you guys to get a little taste of what the movie's about. And I personally don't think that this movie… Even with the spoilers, I don't think it really affects what you feel and what you take away from it. True. Personally. True. So you could still listen to the discussion. We have some I think you can know the whole plot. Yeah. And not be affected by it because it's, it's actually a, 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 about how it feels. Right. It's, it's more about emotions and the things you feel mm-hmm. from it than like the actual arch of the story. So yeah. Eddie, if you could, please read us a Netflix synopsis, please. Yep. So when smart but cash-strapped teen Ellie Chu agrees to write a love letter for a jock, she doesn't expect to become his friend or fall for his crush. Oh, man. That was a very John, good John, that's kind of like my, my big… Yeah, that's my big cue. Um, I like it. Podcast, you're, so. you're hired. You can do the, you can do the trailer. <laughs> uh, all right. So to break it down for our listeners just a little bit, here's a little more detail. So the movie takes place in a fictional town of Washington State called Squahamish. And it centers around three main characters. We've got Ellie Chu, we got Paul Munsky, and Aster Flores. And the lead protagonist, Ellie, is a bookish, quiet Chinese-American girl uh, in essentially like an all-white, small, conservative town. She's smart. She's quiet. A great writer. And she writes other students' essays to make money and help support herself and her dad, who is a Chinese immigrant who is way overqualified for his job but can't get a a good job because his English is not the best. She is approached by Paul, the main guy character, a football player who quote-unquote doesn't speak too good and is clearly not the smartest (laughs) student. But he's asking Ellie to help write him write love letters to his crush Aster Flores. That brings us to third main character, Aster, who is the daughter of the town minister. And she is Latina. And um, she is Latina, but she is dating the school jock and this rich kid named Trig who runs the town. And she is… She passes as this almost, you know, just like any other person in this major white community. um, Because she's pretty and she's dating the popular kid. And she finds herself questioning her life meaning of it, what her future is, and going back and forth writing letters to Paul, not knowing that it's actually Ellie. So to keep it a little bit concise, but also just give you the plot, pretty much uh, it's a love triangle. It's Cyrano de Bergerac um, with a little bit of a twist. It's a little bit of a younger high school LGBTQ plus love triangle where you're kind of watching and you have all these different points where you feel all sorts of different emotions and awkward because everybody's in high school. So that's kind of my take yeah. on what this plot is. I mean, John, I guess the first question we should ask is, 
why did you pick this movie? And what were some of the main things that you really wanted to, to point out to us in this movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I picked it because I think Alice Wu is an important filmmaker of mm-hmm. right now. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think she had something to say in, in how you tell this story. That it, it didn't feel like a super small indie arty movie. Like this was very much um, going for uh, or seemed like it was going for the big audience, the big mm-hmm. four quadrant audience telling a beautiful uh, romantic story, complicated and messy as it is about mm-hmm. love, which, you know, as a young person, you, you have lots of thoughts about love. Um, and she doesn't simplify it. She takes a very traditional structure of the Cyrano de Bergerac and like you said, twists it. And I thought that I, I thought that the honesty of it was really beautiful and there was a mm-hmm. boldness in its simplicity and I really loved the, um, I just really loved that it felt um, Ellie Chu, played by uh, Leia Lewis, is so good in this. Mm. I think she's such a unique character that I have not seen in an American movie, um, let alone um, uh, a movie that the world has access to through Netflix, which is what a great uh, uh, sort of system now that we have right. um, to make great art. Um, and that it doesn't have to feel like a little arty movie that it can, mm-hmm. that, that, that it's not about, uh, being gay. It's about being in love, mm-hmm. uh, what that feels like, how confusing that can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and with family love, friend love and love, love. Yeah. Uh, so I loved all those things about it. And I just think her, her attention, uh, Alice's attention to performances, to the honesty of the performances, mm-hmm. and to where she puts the camera. You know, they have this, these scenes in the in the confession at the at, yeah. at the church. Um, I love that Ellie when she plays the piano for the church. She always has to be on that second level, so the camera has to like move to even know that she's there. Yeah. There's such like heartbreaking moments. I think the uh, cleverness of texting during the date where she's trying to mm-hmm. get uh, the dude uh, Paul to. Uh, to be interesting on this date is just so fascinating. Um, so anyway, I just thought it's a very unique um, yeah. uh, story um, and, the, and and actually execution. Yeah. So. I, I wholeheartedly agree on that. I think, you know, the first thing that struck me is this character, Ellie Chu, and the actress, mm-hmm. Leah Lewis. I, I've never seen her anywhere. I don't know anything about her. Yeah, me neither. But I legit, within the first 10 minutes, I was like, She's a great actress and she has yeah. I love her voice. Yeah. I I think I thought she had such a nice pleasant voice and it was yeah. I don't know and and she also speaks Mandarin and it was mm-hmm. not it didn't well I'm don't, I'm not perfect with Mandarin but it didn't sound like a cringy <laughs> cringy kind of thing like <laughs> right. And yes. I was like yes. everything about the way she's portraying this character and delivering the lines just felt so real. And there was an instant connection of just a humanization in part, which as a young Chinese girl, Chinese-American girl, I've never seen before on screen, I felt like. Yeah. And so that for me as an Asian-American really just like leapt out. And I was like, okay, let's hear this out. Let's see where the story is going to go. And boy, did it tell a story. Eddie, what did you think? Yeah, and Eric, going back to her voice, uh, as I was watching the movie, I thought she had such a clear… Uh, pronunciation and it was very pleasant to listen to. I check her Instagram. She's got all these covers up there. Check it out oh. when you can. She has an amazing voice. 
I didn't know Amazing. that. I think she was actually on The Voice at some point. Oh, really? Was she like, really? <laughs> I, I, okay, I thought I read that sense. somewhere. Okay. I'm so curious now. Okay, but Got anyways. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I agree with you, Eric. Like, just seeing a, a fresh face and an opportunity for somebody to really become a budding star, that was quite cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think she, that her likability is at the center of this whole thing. And actually, um, the guy who plays Paul, Daniel, is, is also really likable. Mm. Um, and Alice does this great. She has, and an, when she did Saving Face as well, like both of, both of the performances have such specific little weird things, quirky things. And she always chooses those takes. And, you know, as a, as a director, you, you basically, you're a chef. So you get all the ingredients and you can make any movie from it. You can make the mm-hmm. cheesy version of the movie. Uh, you can make the obvious version. You can make the subversive dark version, whatever it is. And, and, and Alice takes a very interesting way of, of mixing um, humor uh, with heartbreak um, with broad jokes, with very um, uh, truthful moments. So mm-hmm. I, I just think that's a very unique uh, thing to have. And even her music that she uses in the in, in the movie could have easily been teen pop songs right now. Like right, right. just go go get the whatever uh, CW mixtape and put it in, and uh, and right. you got all these things, and it's the, the acoustic guitar. But she chose like '80s and '90s music. Mm-hmm. Um, and on a exactly. radio and she found ways to make that happen. And I just thought that was it. There is a, and maybe cause I'm older, but if there is a nostalgia, even if they're young to it, um, yep. it made them feel all feel like old souls in a good way. It didn't make them feel like they were out. Uh, they, they were playing a different character, but, um, I love that touch to it as well. You know, I'm so glad you point that out because I, I was watching it and I literally thought maybe this is like a back in time piece where it's like… Because everything about it felt nostalgic. Even like the small yeah. town. Everybody's on a bike. Like the trucks and the cars there aren't super nice. Um, yeah. and, the, and the fashion it looks kind of older. But then everybody has a cell yeah. phone. Everybody's… It, it's current modern day. Um, but yeah. it, I thought it did do a great job of pulling in cultural references and like set design and clothing design where it's like… This is relatable to such a larger audience through the yeah. lens of a yeah. high school high school girl, which was so yeah. interesting to me. Um, yeah, and I really believe, and I really believe this experience in a small town where you're one of the only Asians, or even if you're there are many Asians, or you're maybe one of the only ones that um, you know where the you're you, you have white friends that are coming mm-hmm. over to your Chinese house and sitting yeah. and watching movies with your dad that doesn't speak English or right. speaks very little English. Like I've had that experience. I know Alice coming from the Bay area, even though it's not a tiny, tiny town at the time when we were growing up in the eighties and nineties, it, it, it felt very small. And so those like cross cultural moments, yeah. I think are very are to me are like the next generation's, um, immigrant stories more than like coming from China, from Taiwan to here. Like those stories are great. And that's sort of my generation stuff, but to hear a story where it's all here and, 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 and we are, um, it's not dealing with coming here. Mm -hmm. I just think is very uh, important. I'm curious, John, in, in, you know, your experience personally growing up, you know, 
what was that like? I've when I think of the Bay Area, there's so many yeah. Asian Americans, <laughs> Asian immigrants. Now, yes. Right, exactly. But I don't know when you were growing up, and I guess your parents came much earlier, and you're the youngest of five. So yeah. there's clearly there has to be a generational gap between your oldest sibling and yourself as well. But yeah. what was that like for you? What was your reality growing up? Yeah, I um so my parents came in like 1966, 67, mm. something like that. Uh, I should probably know that date, but I don't. Uh, and um, and there was a, a Chinese comedian like San Mateo. That's why they came. It's mm-hmm. like a port. So they came there and that, that's how my parents met. Um, but they moved to Los Altos, which is near Palo Alto. Right. Um, and to my understanding, I wasn't there, but to my understanding, there wasn't. And, and our, that Chinese restaurant, Chef Chu's, was one if not the first chinese restaurant in that area so mm. they always have taught us like we this restaurant is an ambassadorship uh-huh. um like we're introduction to chinese people and chinese culture so uh-huh. my mom made us behave she made us dress well she um, took us to shows and made sure we were educated so that because she always felt like most of these people will get to know asian people through us mm-hmm. and so we have to show that we are um, as sophisticated, as, you know, into art and music and all those things as anybody else in this town. So, um, so, so, so that was embedded in us. I know that my, my older brother is my oldest brother, who's the oldest is six and a half years older than me. So not that much, but that six and a half years is actually a big, mm-hmm. big, uh, gap in terms of cultural, like being the first one in my mom's family of six. You know, most uh, mostly sisters she had, um, and my mom was the oldest, so he was the first grandchild. Wow! Uh, and everything was on his shoulders, um, even to this day. Like he's the golden child. Mm. He's the one that they were like, we came here and, and built this place for. Um, so mm. the responsibility on him is very large. By the time I came around, you know. Chinese was spoken, but more just the bad stuff they didn't want me to necessarily <laughs> understand. So of course I can understand those things. Um, the other stuff I can't understand. And then, um, and by the time I came around, you know, my baby books were written all over in crayon. I don't have any pictures uh-huh. in those things. They didn't really pay attention to me that much. So, uh, so I had a different growing up, but even when I was growing up, I was probably in my school, one of the only Asian kids. By the time I graduated, there's tons, but like, when when I was there, uh, I was one of very few, mm-hmm. if if um, a handful, I would say. Um, uh, my school was also very small, so it's not like we had three hundred people. It was fifty people per class. Oh wow! And then I went to that same school from kindergarten all the way through high school. So I never felt the um, I never felt the cultural pressure necessarily. Also, my parents did become um, sort of very prominent in the community. So no one could mess with me. Mm. I think that maybe why coming into USC, coming into LA when I first realized, oh, life isn't like it is in Los Altos, California, uh-huh. um, that I had a bit more um, confidence or moxie than maybe somebody else because uh-huh. I had lived the future. I had lived in a place where, you know, I could do anything. I was, you know, ASB president. My uh-huh. brother was ASB. Like we were all, my brother was a sports star there. Me, not so much. Uh, but I, I did the lights for the theater company. So that was good. Um, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, so 
I think that was an eye-opening thing and took me a while mm. to cope with. Mm-hmm. Maybe till only a crazy rich age to really cope with. I did one short film about my cultural identity crisis when I was in film school. Uh-huh. It was called Guaylo. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, and I was so scared of that movie um, because I, again, I didn't know, I didn't have any answers in that movie. It was just sort of like trying to make some, and so I was so scared of what I made would, would turn people off mm. that I never really showed it to anybody um, to this day. Um, so anyway, so those are sort of the things that I grew up in a, in a, in a kind of a specific thing. And yeah, right. Thank God it's I am, changing. Yes. I am always thinking about that though. Like even in this, when uh, Ellie's friend, I'm blanking on his name right now. Is it Paul? Paul? Yeah. Yeah. Paul, Paul yeah. goes over and he's like eating dumplings and he's doing that. And he's unfamiliar yeah. with the culture, but he's not like, he's not being ignorant. He's not saying this is gross. What yeah. is this? Like we've all gone through that. I I remember specifically when, you know, you know, panchan in Korean uh, cuisine. You can just like leave it on your counter in these like Tupperware, you know. And uh, yeah, yeah. I remember all my buddies were over in eighth grade, and they came, and we're all like wrestling downstairs, come up for a little snack, which I imagine in like a Sunkiss commercial, you're like everyone's going yes. to the fridge, <laughs> yes. a bunch of little sardines and like. <laughs> Panchan that people are very unfamiliar with. And it was like not like yes. a, oh, what is this? Can I try it? It was like my best friends were disgusted. You know? <laughs> and fast forward, uh, you know, 15 years later, these are the guys that are ordering all these Korean dishes and, you know, they know more yeah. about it than I do. So I think now it's like interesting $30 dishes, like right. high end <laughs> dumplings on the from a street cart. Right. Yeah, exactly. They're the ones poking the holes in the in the uh <laughs> the, the dim song right? and they're yeah. yeah. They're like drink the soup yeah. first. Yeah. So it's, they're uh, telling us. Like, yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> but do, no, do you know how, have you had this before? Do you know how to eat this dumpling? Let me show you. Like what? <laughs> what is this role reversal going on? <laughs> yeah. No, but I think I think to that point, this movie did a great job of saying like just saying like this is just maybe this is today. This is where it's yeah. not weird. You know, I think, John, maybe with, yeah. especially with your kids, when they grow up, it's not going to be weird to be like, yeah, I've had this food. I've had that food. It's a completely multicultural yeah. kind of thing that we're living in. That's For sure. And I, and I also think in LA, we are, you know, it, we're ahead of that curve as well. And the rest yeah. of the world, or less, the rest of the United States, will also catch up in that thing. And and there's that feeling of like, that, El, that Ellie has in this movie of yearning. Mm-hmm. of always looking forward always feeling like out and always needing um sort of preparing for her future and and i just think that that's also something that i remember feeling a lot growing up even to this day even like now that yearning of belonging mm-hmm. um and how much that hurts and, and you can go on like ellie's very strong like she's not a weak right. character she's right. like doing her thing like she can live her life she's very functional just like us but in the in, in the quiet moments when you see everybody, you know, having their friends and their things and you feel like, well, where's my place in this? Right. And, and, and when do they see me as part of them? And when do they see me as not part of them? Right. Those questions are very like deep embedded in, into us. I, so, I think um, one yeah. thing, one part of the story that I really liked is that, you know, when she was deciding to like go to college or not, you know, there was this. Yeah. I was like, of course, you have to go. Please go. Please go. But there is this thing holding her back with her her dad and just this feeling of belonging. Because for her, 
her dad is probably the only place where she feels like she belongs, right? It's more of like her taking care of her dad is what it feels like in some in many ways. Yeah. But by the end of the movie, her having developed as a character, as a person, over the span of her senior year to say, okay, I'm ready to take this on. I'm willing to face who I am and kind of embrace it. And the ending scene of her just on that train, going forward, looking straight on. Yeah. I thought that was a very well eloquently done kind of you know subplot yeah. to this character's development yeah i mean i think you know you the movie's working for you when you are rooting for her and her, your heart is breaking for her every moment yeah especially that last train where you're so um excited for her and also sad that she's leaving this place and these people mm -hmm. and then when her guitar when, when her piano is out, oh out my tune, gosh somebody, uh, and then right. she and again um Leah Lewis does an amazing job of of making that feel very honest. Um, and then he gives her that guitar, and she can sing. and And then after she's like, the school loves her, and she's at that party. But even at that party, they still say like, "It's the Chinese girl." Yeah. Like the amount of times like my close friends say those things to me, and they're funny, whatever, fine in the moment. But then now you're like, that's fucked up. <laughs> I don't think I. No, but then what are you gonna say? And it's like it's like that position you're put in. Yeah, often. yeah, yeah. yeah. Of like I, if that, I say something, it ruins this moment. Yeah. But like somebody needs to say something at some point, and I don't know when. So I feel like we're always stuck in this awkward position yeah. of like. And then everyone's like, "Well, you never said anything, and you didn't. You <laughs> seem fine with it." Oh, my Asian friend loves it when I do that to them. Right. And I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! Don't right. use me as an example." Yeah, uh, you put me in a very weird because if I say something, <laughs> then I'm suddenly like, "You're right. saying weird things." Anyway, it's that I just token think that Asian such a thing. relatable. Yeah, it's yeah. a token Asian thing. Like, I think yes. what related to me with Ellie is like, Eddie and I went to a, you know, we we're very fortunate. We got to go to a private school, but we were one of very, very, very few Asians uh, in this yeah. entire school. And it was just a very affluent community. Um, we recognized we're very privileged to have gone there, but there were so many times where I was like, I like, don't, I don't belong here in any way. And I and yeah. we played that role of the token Asian so many times. Um, and I think mm -hmm. it's now that I've spent like close to nine, ten years in Korea, the way I process yeah. my quote unquote Asianness or who I am as a you know as a Korean Korean American dude, there's nothing that like I I shake or that I have any sort of insecurity on. But when you're growing up, that defines you. That really creates your yeah. persona and your personality um and i don't know i don't know in a weird way it's a reminder yeah. that you're it's, in a weird way it is a reminder that they still see you as something else mm -hmm. and you right. don't want to process that because that would make you really sad that yeah. would make that would make this whole thing a lie and you cannot accept that this is a lie like these mm -hmm. are your real friends and by the way, I don't necessarily blame them personally. I right. think I just blame the culture around that. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and so I still love them. Now I, I, I know how to speak up without being Debbie Downer, but also educating some of these people. You also learn saying right. it once. If they're your real friends, it'll shut it down forever. Right. But when you're 13, 14 years old, it's really, really hard. And so I think... Uh, this movie and other films that are coming out and even YouTubers that are out there that um, that show like that the normalcy um, and that we're all just human beings. 
Um, right. I just think it, it helps so much for a young kid who, mm-hmm. who always feels other, I guess. Um, I, I think one thing for Ellie that was really interesting is um, this longing of wanting more and of just trying to find herself mm-hmm. and discover herself. And even though know, as, as she makes the decision to go to college and leave everything behind, everything that she has now just seemingly gotten comfortable with and found a sense of belonging with, to have to leave that and go to college. Um, John, have you had any moments or any similar situations where you've debated, do I stay? Do I go? Taking risks or um, I guess yeah. through throughout your life, a professional lot. experiences. Yeah, a lot. Um, you know, going to, I've been, I went to my school in high school and grade in middle school, uh, one school the whole time, uh, kindergarten mm-hmm. through, uh, through high school. So I never had to make new friends. Uh, I never had to. I mean, I go to like summer camps, but that's easy. But like, I was very used and used to uh, to being comfortable. And so going to L.A. was scary. Going into the film business with no connections was scary. Yeah. Um, but I think I grew up in an environment. Growing up in the Bear was also a huge blessing because everyone around me um, was changing the world. Everyone's parents were like engineers. It wasn't the way it is now where people are getting like crazy rich and, and our covers of magazines. These people are engineers that were making stuff that was changing the world and they weren't getting huge credit for it. And that was fine. And everybody, and the, so the environment was any individual person with a good idea and working hard can accomplish anything. And, um, and so coming to, uh, to LA with that really helped protect me, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a hard, that was hard. I was going away from my family. It was very close yeah. with each other. Um, everyone was coming, you know, was, is in the Bay Area. It was like a mile away from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just being here now, like knowing that I am, uh, I am now in LA and I'm going to yeah. be here. And um, I'm the one, my brothers and sisters all live uh, still close together. Uh, oh, that okay. I'm the one out. I, I think about that a lot, um, uh-huh. but I know that I'm on some. I'm on a different mission than their lives, of, and I need to get out there and, and spread the things that I learned from my family um, out to the world. And, and and there's always an open door and always food on the table for me whenever I want to do that. Amazing. Speaking of food, I, I feel like we have to talk about food real quick in this movie. It plays. I'm down. It plays a very important role, and it plays a great role in your in Crazy Rich Asians as well. I feel like food is such yes. a central uh, theme to a lot of great stories. Um, in this case, um, there's the dumplings, and there's also Paul's taco sausages, and his family yes. running like a sausage company, a meat company. Um, mm-hmm. I guess, how did you like watching that? As for people who don't know, your your parents have you know. A very very uh, famous Chinese restaurant in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. and as the son of chefs and restaurateurs, what was it like, kind of watching this film and uh, the role that food played in it? Well, I'm always watching food in movies just uh-huh. because I'm always hungry. Um, <laughs> I used I used to have better metabolism, so, but now you know I got to watch it a little bit. So um, no, I I I think it just brings comfort. Like I smell that food. You know, when they're making uh, the dumpling, I'm, I'm literally, it uh, brings me right back. And also I'm not, I don't see that as often anymore. 
Uh, you know, now that I'm in LA and I'm my own family, like I don't know really how to do all that stuff. When you, the big thing is when you're the son of a chef, you actually don't know how to cook because you're always being cooked for. <laughs> so it, it would, I, I, I'm ashamed and I probably could have got a lot more dates if I knew how to cook, but um, back in the day, but uh, no, I was always, I was naive to all that stuff. So I know how to eat really well. Uh, I just know how to cook. But when I see that stuff, I have a very, and even in my movies and Crazy Rich Asians and even in The Heights, when you see it, I was very focused because when you talk to uh, the Latinx community, when I talked to Lynn and Kiara about what they would eat and the sauces, you know, we had a lot of conversation of like, well, at a dinner party, you don't, you don't have it out there and they don't serve it. Usually it's sort of buffet and everybody gets it, all mismatched plate, mixed match plates. And, and then also uh, the sauces, someone would have like the proper sauce and then someone would have one in their pocket that they homemade, you know, had from home, uh, home that they made uh, at home. And so to me, those little details are so important. And there are certain pieces of, uh, um, of even um, plates and cups that you would recognize in any Chinese household. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that that's, it, or calendars on the wall from like the the Chinese market that they got for free, right, or the, right. or the plastic bags that they would keep so you could put other things in the, like there's such details that um, I think evoke your own household. And, and then it also reminds you that, oh yeah, we all shared this experience um, with our parents who we thought it was unique, but it actually was happening everywhere. And there's mm-hmm. a sense of unity right. there. Absolutely. But I loved how they used it in this, 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 this movie um, and, and bringing those, the cultures together too. It's such an American hot dog, you know, hot dog topic, yeah. like the most American idea um, and mixing it in. So. Absolutely. Um, so I guess like in, in regards to this movie, um, you know, mm-hmm. there, I guess like the overarching thing is just love. At the end of the day, this movie is about love. Loving yourself, loving whoever you want to love. Um, it was… Yeah. Uh, and, that, and that love takes courage. That right. Love, that that you, you're, you're willing to risk what they say like the per- perfect portrait for the bold strokes. Mm-hmm. I love that line because I think… I talk about that a lot when I'm making movies. Like as a director… Everything should go according to plan. But as a director, you're the only one with the power to change everything like that. Mm. To say, actually, don't go through that door. Go through that window. And it changes the whole scene. Actually, mm. we're not going to have any dialogue in the scene. We're just going to tell it through the train sounds that are outside the house. You're not going to be able to hear anything in the house. Mm-hmm. And that changes everything about that scene. And not and no one else, the producers can't change it. The studio can't change it. Only the director can look at that scene and say, let's do something crazy. And mm-hmm. so I always look for those opportunities. But doing something crazy means if it doesn't work, you have wasted a lot of money for somebody else. <laughs> so you better be ready to take that. Sure. Uh, so I love that concept of living your life in that uh-huh. way. Did you have like a favorite scene in this movie? Like if you had to pick one. Yeah. I mean, I had a lot. I love the sequence where they're, um, you know, when they're writing letters back and forth, but the, at a certain point where they have to do art on this wall and oh, each each day right. they do a different piece. I think that was just brilliant and lovely and such a great um, way to communicate that. I also love the text messages see when he's in the cafe talking mm. to her and then uh, Ellie's in the truck trying and texting 
uh, her as well, um, Aster. And so there are these two different characters. And then he's messing it up. Just the sound effects in that right. are really funny. Two totally different conversations. The way they sit on the on uh, the window when she leaves, once they actually like connect, spoiler alert, they connect there. And then she's like, okay, I'm done. She gets into, she goes to the back of his car and grabs her bike and then goes away. And the camera doesn't move. You see her get out of the car. You have to wait, 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 wait for her to get the, the, the bike in the back and you see her leave. It's just so much patience, mm-hmm. but also evocative of that lonely feeling. Yeah. Like, you're not, you just get, you're not part of that. You're, you're outside the party. Right. That's that's so crazy. So like listening when I listen to you explain scenes, it's fascinating to me because they're like as just a viewer, like those pauses or those awkward moments or that silence, we just watch it as like, oh, it's just awkward and silent. But for you as a creator, mm-hmm. it's like this is an intentional decision to not follow her yeah. with the camera, to make her walk around that car. Um Yeah. Does that because affect- I know someone? Because I know someone is saying, "Can you cut it faster? Can you cut it faster?" <laughs> and, Ali- uh-huh. and Alice has to be the one that says, "No, mm. we're not cutting it faster." I'm like, why not? The movie is like getting long. Come on, mm. let's go. And then she's like, "No, because for this reason, you have to right. be there yeah. with her." I want to make you feel uh, uh-huh. uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Paul you- is so good at that. By the way, <laughs> making Paul's you uncomfortable. Really good He's just so being, good. Like, just being I dumb. Really liked him. Like, He's so yes. good at it. <laughs> but not not being fake dumb. Like right. he feels like he's that guy. So. Yeah. I, I need yeah, to yeah. watch an interview with him to think otherwise. Because I'm just like, he's playing this role <laughs> way too well. Uh, <laughs> I, always, I always talk about movies like their software. Their emotional software. So people, uh, we, are, we have algorithms in our head that, that teach us to react to certain things. To certain colors and lights and, and movements and eye movements that make us feel stuff. And so we, put our, we pay money and we go into this box. And then this flashes of lights uh, flash in front of us. And we, it, it makes our brain release certain hormones or certain chemicals to make us feel things, to make us cry, to make us laugh. And so it is a series of lights and things that we're trying to make a trying to wherever we're coming from, coming from a fight, coming from waking up early in the morning, working all day, um, having our Coke sitting in a room, wherever you're from, we're going to guide you slowly into this path. And then once we get you onto our algorithm, now we have you and we're going to make you feel all the things you want to feel. So by the time you leave this, Mm. you are going to have this sense of empowerment, this sense of sadness, this sense of whatever and wonder. Uh, And then you leave and you're either satisfied with that and it stays with you or not. And it either changes your future algorithm or not. I remember um, there's a speech where this guy has his black splotches and he says, what do you see? And the audience says, oh, I see like, uh, I see islands, I see cats, I see this and that. And then he fades the other image behind it and it becomes the coil of a snake. And he's like, now what do you see? Everyone's like, oh, it's a snake. And then he puts the image back to what it was. And he says, now what do you see? And the only thing anyone can see from then on is the snake. Mm-hmm. Because once you see things, you can't unsee it. Our brain is now programmed to see that. And I just think that that's the power of story. That's the power of empathy, that it is already in us to be empathetic. Yeah. And if we as storytellers show people cannot turn away. And the more we show, the more they feel empathy for that culture, for those people, for that thing. Um, and it comforts them that they're not also alone in their own thing. So a lot of this movie has that thing that I feel like is 
at the core of what, why we do what we do and why it's important that we do what we do. Um, because you can't unsee a relationship like this. You can't unsee Ellie Chu and feel for her and know that there might, there is a girl, there is a boy in your life that feels those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and how can you turn away from that? How can you be the villain of that movie? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think that that's, it's a very powerful movies. Stories are very powerful um, program in our brains. Amazing. I, I can listen to John talk all day. Yeah. I can see why these studios pick it up. I can see <laughs> myself in the pitch room. I'm just like, okay, like, I'm take sold. my money. Yeah, take my money. It. Whatever you want. <laughs> um, I guess, you know, for the purposes of the show, you know, the show is called Commit or Quit, where we commit to the yes. movie or we quit the movie. Obviously, I think you are committed to this movie. You chose this movie. Um, but yes, if you had to make one short, concise, like <laughs> you have to watch this for this yeah, reason, man. absolutely, what is yes. it? Yes. Um, it will make you smile. Mm. That's a very simple answer, but that's, um, I think those that that's far and few between these days, or few yeah. and far between. Uh, these days. So uh, if you're here to feel good, you're here to see some truthfulness and what it feels like to be a teenager. Um, that's not the same old, same old. Um, yeah. This has all those ingredients. Amazing. Eddie, how about yourself? Are you going to commit to this or are you going to quit it? What are you thinking? Yeah, uh, this is a commit for me. And it, it, this is something that I, I meant to touch on. But what I love, in addition to the music and that nostalgic 80s feel, because you'll catch me every time with some 80s music, is the fact that we don't even harp on her sexuality at all. Mm. It's just… It doesn't yeah. define who she is. It's just… You we know, haven't even really talked about it here. Yeah. Mean, exactly. It's yeah. just like… It's just a good story. It's coming of age. It, it It's yeah. not overly harped on her being Asian and being like a misfit for XYZ reasons. It, it is just a feel-good movie. And I would hi- highly recommend it. And John, that was a really, really good choice. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm going to commit to it as well. I… I didn't know anything about it going into it. And I had… Uh, I think I had like a glass of wine and I sat there and I was like, this just makes me feel warm inside. Like maybe yeah. it's the alcohol, but I think it's the story. Uh, it just felt good to watch. Mm. Um, it was just enough nostalgia. Just enough teenage awkwardness. Uh, yeah. Just enough of this optimism of like what does the future hold. So for me, it's definitely going to be a commit. So um, thank you, John, for, for bringing this movie to our show. I'm so glad that we were able to discuss it. Mix it in with your life. Our experiences. A little bit of everything. Um, We don't want to hold you for too long. But before we let you go… We do have some questions that fans sent in on Twitter. So we have some for you. If you don't mind answering a couple of them. Um, Let's do it. All right. So… Um, we talked a little bit about food, but this is a this might be a very very difficult question. This is from Forever Rain eighty eight. Um, I really enjoyed the scene in Crazy Rich Asians that captured so well a typical family coming together at the same table to help make dumplings. What is your favorite family meal? I'm so excited to hear this because I was researching <laughs> your your family and the food, and I was like, gosh, how how delicious your childhood must have been. Yeah. <laughs> We had some amazing meals over time. My mom, we used to have, my mom and her sisters and our grandmother used to cook dinner every night when I was a kid um, with all the cousins and all the sisters. So that would be like 
almost 30 people at my house every Oof. night around a giant round table with a lazy Susan, of course. Um, and we had a dinner bell. So we'd all be doing homework at different parts of the house. And then mm-hmm. we hear the dinner bell and we all had to gather. There was not enough room at the table. So other people would be on the stairs or on the floor. And um, those were some of my favorite meals because uh, you could smell that food the moment you got home. My grandma would be... Um, uh, making one tons folding them or whatever. And so we'd have to come in and help her if, if she mm. needed help. Um, all the, all our cousins would be home. Um, you know, oxtail soup, uh, whatever it was like it was, oh, man. that there is a scent that you j- just feels like, Oh, I'm home. Uh-huh. And so I will never forget those days. Um, and I now looking back when I tell people that, uh, it's very odd. People don't have those kind of dinners. So right. um, and I don't have, I certainly don't have those kind of dinners anymore. So um, those were my, some of my favorite memories of, of food. And the other favorite memory is driving home from USC. I drive back to uh, to the Bay Area, you know, take me whatever, six hours. And, and when I got home, I, it would be two in the morning. My dad would wait up and he'd be like, what are you, what are you hungry for? And he opened up the fridge and whatever we had in there, he'd make something amazing. And it would just uh. be me and him. And uh, that's when he became his sh- uh, chef again. And I got to uh, have the best meal. Um, that's awesome. Ever with him, so. That's yeah. awesome. Quite different from my reality of just hot pockets every day. Because <laughs> my wife can't cook. But because it's just convenient. I'm, I'm, my convenient. mouth is watering just sitting here. It's like it's yeah. 5.30. So I'm like, oh, man. Time. <laughs> um, awesome. Right. Awesome question. Next question is from Show You Sean. Um, yo, I did a project presentation on Crazy Rich Asians. Um, the mm. whole movie's color palette is absolutely beautiful. As an aspiring director, what are some tips that you may have for other aspiring directors as I make my way through college to get there? Ooh, loaded question. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot. Just yeah. a lot. Um, I would say though, um, make stuff, make stuff, make stuff. Mm. It's the only way you're going to get better. You cannot become a director by studying directing. You can only become better director by making stuff and figuring out how to get the thing in your head uh, into real life in front of you. And that takes communication. That takes learning technical skills of how to not just write, because I'm not the best writer, but I know how to like get images, how to collect images, cut them together, use music so I can communicate the story I'm telling to my crew who then Mm. can take their skills and say, okay, I know how to do that. I will make my own version of what that is for you. And that will make you even look even better and smarter. Um, And so communication and learning how to do that is only through um, and learning process of how things get made is the only way you're going to get confidence. And Mm -hmm. confidence is the only way you're going to overcome fear. And because fear is the biggest enemy for creativity. So the, the baseline thing to do is make, make, make YouTube mm. videos. Uh, it doesn't matter on your iPhone by yourself that nobody sees. It does not matter. Learn how to collaborate and and make. Um, and then the end of the day, you won't be asking someone for a job. They will be looking for you because they already have seen the stuff you make. And they're like, I need that. I need that what you what you're making. And I need that. Mm. And so let me pay you to have some of that. Um, that is the strongest position you can be in instead of waiting for a job. Awesome. That's some great advice. Absolutely. It's not the easiest thing to do. It's, Nobody likes yeah, that answer, not. by the way. It's, yeah. it's just that means go no do gonna your work. You. <laughs> work yeah. hard. And people are like, what? What do you mean? Wait, I <laughs> need to work. About? And by I the way, you, study? you know the people. You can tell the people who are going to do that. Yeah. Because they're wired like that. You don't even yeah. have to tell them that. 
So I agree. Uh, last question. This is from SabyK. I am a huge dancer. Been a fan of John's works in Step Up 2 and League of Extraordinary Dancers. So I was wondering yes. how he approaches directing for music and choreography as opposed to spoken films such as Crazy Rich Asians. And has directing dancers influence how you direct other projects? That's a good question. Um, <clears throat> dance is different um, because it's another language. Mm. It's a language of expression that, so words are a version of expression. Where you put the camera and how you light something is a version of language and expression. All the things that the audience are are accepting and listening to they're not just hearing words they're seeing images and they're feeling sounds and they're and they're they're put into perspectives and they're so all of those things are in play when you add dance into that um it's just another way um to get a a nuance to what you're saying Mm. um and so i you have to understand the dancer um, and the dance and the choreographer of what they what they're able to communicate. So I learned by accident. By my friends were dancers. I was not a dancer. I hung out with them, and so I needed people to be in my short films, and they were the only people who would help me. And so because I knew them, I knew what they were trying to do with their dance. Mm. And because I knew film stuff, I would say, "Hey, I can do this to help you communicate that." And they were like, "Oh, cool." I was like, "What? Could you do something when I'm here?" And they're like, "Yeah, I could do this to help you tell that." And so I got this language with dancers, all types of dancers, street dancers and classic, classically trained dancers, that, it, that, that, that dance comes from a very um, rooted place in each person and has a different currency for each person. And I had to change my way of shooting according to each of those people. Um, And so when you are doing that in a movie, you have to think of not just the actor, you have to think of the character. And then you guys have to work, you're writing a script together, essentially. It's not just the words, it's you, the choreographer, and the the dancer themselves are writing a script live in rehearsals. And so you have to to be there, you have to help craft that. Uh, And then you have to have it enough that when you're on the day of shooting, in the same way when you're in dialogue mode, um, you have to let it all go sometimes Mm -hmm. and see what happens. Right. Sometimes you'll get the best, you will actually almost always get the best stuff or when you let go of the things you rehearsed and they do something in the moment, but because you guys are already on the same page, you know how to take advantage of that moment and you catch up, you catch a butterfly in a jar and that's sort of the goal. Man, I feel like I could listen to you just speak for hours. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Can I ask you something just unrelated, more related to my profession? I feel like you'll have a good answer for it. I mean, that's awesome. (laughs) That's really great. You should hear what's um, in my head. I'm talking to myself all day long. Um, well, John, thank you so much for you know such sincere answers to these questions. Um, I, I know for a lot of people thank who you. don't have the opportunity to ask these types of things, it, it really means a lot yeah. um, to, to get these yeah. types of answers. As I have time to talk about stuff, sometimes, you know, in all these forums, you get five minutes, 10 minutes, and you can only do the, the right. normal questions that everybody asks. When you have right. longer time, you get to dig a right. little deeper. Absolutely. Um, well, we don't want we don't want to hold you for too long. We've we've kept you way over I'm sure what you had planned. <laughs> but we really appreciate you spending time with us to introduce us to a brand new movie, to share your life story with us, bits and pieces here and there. And um we just we just really really appreciate it. Is there anything that we can look forward to from you? Anything that you want to plug, anything you can share with us um just to make <laughs> they sure should we check out They should check out Home Before Dark on Apple TV Plus. Mm-hmm. 
I did the first two episodes, but I'm really proud of the whole show. And, and uh, it's our first sort of foray into television. And then in the Heights, get ready for that. It's been right. one year. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, get hyped. It's, I'm really proud of it. And I think it'll uh, change some, create a new lane. For a whole bunch of people. So. All right. Well, Amazing. thank thank you again so much. We appreciate it. Please stay safe. Thank stay you. healthy. Hopefully, we'll be t- able to hang out sometime soon when Let's this is it. all over. Let's do it in that uh, Palm Springs uh, Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. We'll do it. We'll rent it just so we can hang out here. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. But thank you so much. Have a great weekend, and uh, hopefully, we'll awesome. connect again soon. Yeah. Sounds thank good, you guys. Thanks, John. All right, peace. All right. Have a great weekend. Bye. Peace. Bye. All right, guys. So that's a wrap on this special episode of Commit or Quit with John M. Chu. I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation as well as getting to know John and his projects a little bit more. Um, Let us know what you think about the half of it and our discussion on it. And if you agree with the points that we made today, please be sure to tag us on Twitter at The Dive Studios to let us know your thoughts. And be sure to subscribe to Dive Studios on YouTube at youtube.com backslash dive studios. Follow us on Instagram at The Dive Studios and follow us on TikTok. And also, most importantly, become a patron of ours at patreon.com backslash dive studios. We have some cool perks, full videos you can watch, opportunities to Zoom call with the team, etc., etc. Yep, yep. And lastly, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us from, be it Spotify, Google, Apple whatever it is. And if you could please leave us a rate and review on those platforms, we'd really, really, really appreciate it. So hope you enjoy this episode. Love you guys. Talk to you guys again very soon and see you on the next episode of Commit or Quit. Quit. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. 
So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.